Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew Baker, and today's devotional study is entitled, God of Our Fathers. Please remember to visit our podcast page at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find our other Bible study podcasts and resources. Our podcasts are available on a variety of different platforms and channels, a list of which can be found on our page. Let's have a word of prayer before we continue. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of service, ministry. We thank you for being able to use technology in this way. We invite your presence to be with us and ask that you'll give us wisdom and understanding. And may this devotional have be a help to someone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God of our fathers. Of all the people in the Bible, it is Abraham who features most prominently when it comes to this whole God of our fathers thing. So we're going to start with him. We first run into Abraham back in Genesis 11:26, where we find him with the rest of his family. At the time, he's still called Abram. It isn't until chapter 12 that we find it recorded that God has spoken to Abram and told him to go to a new country that God will show him. And then from chapters 13 through 17, we see God repeat his promise to Abram two more times with a little bit of elaboration along the way. Then we get over to Genesis 17, where we find that God has initiated an everlasting covenant with Abram. In this covenant, Abram is promised a number of things, including a large number of descendants, some royalty from among those descendants, some land to hold all those descendants, and a new name that was more in line with a man having a whole set of descendants. The name Abraham means father of many nations. And we can look through history and see that this was not the least bit overstated. Genesis 17, 1 says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. That's verse 2. One of the things God also does in Genesis 17 is clearly state that Sarah, formerly Sarai, will bear a son named Isaac, and that God will reestablish his covenant with Isaac, the true heir of Abram, now known as Abraham. Before God had made the covenant with Abraham, he had identified himself in a variety of ways. In Genesis 15.1, He said, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. In verse 7 of the same chapter, he says, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And in 17 verse 1, he says, I am the almighty God. Now, after the covenant is made, God identifies himself as the God of Abraham. And if you go to Genesis 26 you'll see that he identifies himself. He starts to use that 
definition whenever he speaks to other people. Genesis 26 verses 24 and 25 says this, And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged the well. Okay, so this is where he appears to Isaac. Now we're going to get to another of another verse. We're going to go to Genesis 28. We're trying to establish a pattern here. So now we're dealing with um, Jacob, starting at verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. So now God introduces himself to Jacob the way he had introduced himself to Isaac. He indicates that he is the God of Abraham and Isaac, both of them whom he made covenants with. And once God establishes a covenant with them, he becomes their God. Now, Jacob's response is different. Abraham and Isaac both accepted the covenant that God presented to them and God became their God. They accepted God and his covenant. Jacob, however, is has a different response. Let's continue at verse 20 of chapter 28. So here's Jacob's response. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Okay, so Jacob hears the promise and he sort of accepts it, but he hasn't quite embraced it. So he kind of makes a counter proposal to God. If you take care of me and get me back home safely, then I will definitely return a tithe. Right? I'll, I'll return a tithe and you know then we can talk about this you being my God thing. That's kind of Jacob's response. So Jacob respects God. He acknowledges God. But at this point, God is the God of his parents. The question to ask ourselves then is, is there a problem if the God that our children serve is their parents' God? Jacob is about to serve God but as his parents' God. The thing we have to understand is that God is a God of relationships. He desires a personal relationship with each and every one of us. While he might get introduced to us through our parents or our pastor or some role model, he's interested in much more. His goal is not simply to be the friend of a friend. In Genesis 31, God comes to Jacob and gives him the promise of protection. It should be noted that God speaks to Jacob without identifying himself as the God of anyone else. 
but Jacob still refers to God by way of his parents. Let's look at that. Genesis 31, 3 through 5. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field of his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance that is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. Okay, so the Lord speaks to him directly, not referencing Abraham or Isaac, other than, you know, the land of. But Jacob is still in this this other mode. So after a long discussion with his family, he obeys God, picks up his family, and sneaks off, heading back home. After three days, Laban realizes that Jacob has departed, and he sets up chase, catching up to him after a seven-day journey. When they get into they get into a little bit of bickering, but then Laban discusses God in their in the, during their um, let's call it altercation. And Laban said to Jacob, "This is Genesis thirty-one fifty-one through fifty-three." And Laban said to Jacob, "Behold this heap, and behold this pillar which I have cast between me and thee. This heap be witness." And this pillar be witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Okay, so you have two people here who we have to imagine that God wants to be the God of every person. But we know definitively that he's trying to be the God of Jacob because we have that recorded. And Jacob is referring to him as the God of Abraham and Isaac. And Laban is referring to him as the God of Abraham and Nahor and Terah, their father. Okay? And that's as close, that's as close as as Laban is to it. So it wasn't Laban's God, it wasn't Jacob's God, but the God of Abraham and Nahor and, T- and Terah. Abraham, remember, is Laban's uncle. Nahor is his grandfather, and Terah is his great-grandfather. So Laban, Laban's relationship with God is even more distant than Jacob's. Jacob is at least serving the God of his father and grandfather, and Laban has stretched it out to uncle, grandfather, and great-grandfather. Now, remember, Tira and Nahor had uh, their worship was a little bit corrupted, which is why God had to pull them out from there. Uh, but still, they appear to have a closer relationship than, than Laban does. Certainly, he thinks so. So now, Jacob is, we're, we're at this point in Genesis 31 where it's been 20 years since Jacob left home. It's been 20 years. And he still, despite all of the communication he's had with God, he still, his relationship with God is still somewhat distant. As the Apostle Paul might say, he was still using the milk of the word rather than meat. But it's possible for us to be like that. It's possible for our children to be like that. How many of us might still be worshiping the God of our fathers? We may not have our own personal relationship with God, but we're living vicariously through the piety of our parents or someone else, right? 
from a spiritual standpoint, we're essentially in first or second grade. Um, we're, in a, we're in an early, early education. We, we're not able to advance to higher grades because we don't do any homework or enough homework. We don't get to class on time. We complain that school is not sufficiently entertaining. We don't apply for any extra credit assignments. We refuse to take any opportunities for tutoring, and we wait until the last minute to do the research for major projects, right? If we're going to use this metaphor, this school metaphor for our spiritual growth, if we're not doing the things to earn the grade as you would in school, right? We're not talking about earning salvation, but we're talking about the building of a relationship with God. If we're not doing that, right? Salvation is not simply knowing about who God is. It's not simply hearing about him and understanding facts and figures. It's, it's about a relationship with a live personal entity. And simply knowing about him puts you in a fan club at best, but it doesn't put you in a saving relationship. God's grace doesn't mean we do nothing. It just means that we don't do anything that, that can save us. But we need to be in a relationship with him. All things considered, it's not too surprising why Jesus taught so many parables about people being too busy to make it to the feast until they get themselves uninvited. So Jacob is on his way home, and his next trial is going to be meeting his brother Esau. And even though two decades have passed, Esau is not really feeling all of that good. So now as Jacob contemplates and strategizes how he's going to deal with Esau, he prays to God for assistance. And he takes the opportunity to remind God about the promise God made to him. So let's look at that in chapter 32, verses 9 through 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. You see, see where Abraham's, see where Jacob's mind is? The Lord which says unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Okay, so Jacob is still praying to God as the God of someone else, but he remembers the promises. And verse 24 is such a key verse of chapter 32. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Here it is that Jacob wrestles with God, not simply a physical conflict, because he could never win a physical conflict against God. This was a spiritual engagement. It is here that Jacob finally embraces God, and the God of his fathers becomes his own personal God. It was here that his name was changed from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, which means soldier of God or prince that prevails with God. Jacob was able to advance to a different level in his spiritual relationship, although he took a difficult path and had some scars for it. We see that in Genesis 48, after he's reunited with Joseph, 
in Egypt, here's what he says. Genesis 48, verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long until this day, the angel which redeems me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Okay, so now his name is named on them. And it's interesting because from this point on, we see that God introduces himself to his people as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jacob had finally accepted the covenant that God had given him. And as a result, God became his personal God, not just the God of his parents. As the first step to delivering the children of Israel from Egypt, God told Moses to introduce him to them as the God of their fathers. In Exodus 3, 16 and 17, we see the following. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of this, out of the affliction of Egypt, unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God also taught them through Moses that they were to teach their children so that each person could come to God on a personal level. They could engage in a personal relationship with God. We need to get to the point where God is our God, and we need to teach our children to develop a relationship so that he becomes their God. That's what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says, but verse 4 is key. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Salvation is about a connection, a relationship. It's not simply about memorizing trivia. It's not about rule keeping. It's not about baptism. It's not even about obedience. Yes, obedience is important. Yes, it is vital that we know in whom we have believed. Yes, we have to follow the commandments that God has given us, including the one about baptism. But, make no mistake, salvation is not found in obedience, or in knowledge, or in good works, or in commandment keeping. It is only found in a relationship with the Savior. We must know God, and He must know us. And as parents... Our relationship with God does not automatically save our children. Children are not saved simply because of who their parents are. Ask Eli and Samuel and David. Once your child has the ability to make a choice for or against God, then they are no longer eligible for the free parental discount. Certainly, the lessons taught by godly parents will have an impact. Train up a child in the way he should go but the child is still responsible for his or her choice, and they can make that choice a whole lot earlier than many of us are willing to accept or understand. Just so you don't think I'm making this whole thing up, let's turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, and verses 14 through 20, where God tells the prophet something incredible. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. 
If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. And he goes on to say that multiple times. And in verse 20, he says, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. They shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. Their relationship with God, while it can be a useful influence on their children, cannot substitute for their children's own relationship. Whose God are we serving? Are we serving our parents' God? Have we taken the time to develop our own personal relationship with our Savior so that he can become our God in addition to being the God of our fathers? Have we accepted the covenant that he's making with each and every one of us? Or are we still at the initial stage of our relationship where God has to be introduced to us through some other connection that he previously established? Are we presenting God to our children in a way that they will embrace the covenant he is ready to make with them? Do they have any incentive to accept God as their God rather than as your God or the God of your ancestors? Are you hoping that your walk with God is going to be sufficient for them? Are you teaching them in your house when you walk by the way, when you rise up, when you lie down? Or are you hoping that they can get everything they need at Pathfinders and during some portion of the Sabbath hours? There's only a little time left in Earth history. Surely, all of the things that are going on around us in this planet make that plain. We cannot settle for a relationship with God that is dependent on our forefathers. We need our own deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need to ensure that our children do the same for themselves. Fathers in particular, we have a burden to provide our children with an example that will enable our children to be better and to better understand the love, the justice, and the mercy of our Heavenly Father. Our example must be one that leads them closer to God, or we will pay a steep price for our bad example. We are admonished to avoid provoking our children to wrath. If it is your desire to surrender yourself to God so that you can be a proper representation of God to your children, then raise your hand as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our God. We thank you that you desire to be a personal God. We pray, Lord, that even if we have been introduced to you as the God of our fathers or grandfathers, grandparents, our friends, mentors, no matter how you were originally introduced, help us to come to see you as the God, our God, and help us to teach our children in the same way. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with us and help us to meditate on these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening in. And if you have any questions, be sure to send them to BibleQuestions at ASBZone.com and we will do our best, by God's grace, to provide you with biblical answers to those questions. If you've been blessed by listening to these messages, we ask and encourage you to share them with others. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you study His Word.